You're listening to the Electronic Media Collective Podcast Network. Yeah, it's a mouthful. For more great shows like the one you're about to enjoy, visit electronicmediacollective.com. And now, our feature presentation. Hey everybody and welcome to Comics with My Kids, the official podcast for the comicscornerbox.blogspot.com where you can get reviews of comics for the whole family. I'm your host, Matt D, and with me today is... Logan D. Today's episode, we have a special guest. He is the writer for the comic series Scales and Scoundrels, as well as an editor-in-chief for TKO Books. It's Sebastian Gerner. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us today. Well, Sebastian, we're hoping to talk to you a little bit about Scales and Scoundrels and a little bit about TKO comics and mm-hmm. also what it's like to be an editor-in-chief tell you what we'll go ahead and we'll we'll dive right into the book sploosh so me and dad read the first collected edition for scales and scoundrels and we both really enjoyed it would you like to tell our listeners the elevator pitch for this series the elevator <clears throat> pitch for scales and scoundrels was um so the book written by myself and developed with uh, the artist galad um when we started, we said we wanted to do a an all-ages fantasy adventure that anyone could read, that kids could pick up, that parents and adults could um, enjoy, and that went against the darker grain of fantasy that we saw um, that was very popular at the time, Game of Thrones, other kind of grimdark stuff. And both he and I grew up reading... Um, European kind of fantasy, which which always ended up being a little bit more playful. Um, also big fans of Japanese comics where despite things being very serious and the stories can, you know, have epic twists and, and fails and falls, um, there's still a lightheartedness and a sense of adventure to it. And that's something that we wanted to bring um, to, uh, to an American comic book series. Um, to kind of try to break comics free from, uh, fantasy comics at least, free from the kind of Dungeons and Dragon-y, Tolkien uh, stranglehold, as much as we love it. <laughs> and in order to do that, ironically, we, we set out to, uh, to actually start our story in a similar spot. So like all good fantasy adventures, it starts in a tavern, we head off into a dungeon, um, and uh, then we let the characters kind of play themselves from there. Um, not quite sure that's an elevator pitch for you. But, uh, <laughs> that is, that is, that was our outset is that actually specifically that we didn't really have an elevator pitch. The story kind of came together from us having developed these characters and then locking them all in a room or in a dungeon together, as it were, and, uh, letting our imagination run wild with where it would go from there. I have to say, I, I, I really enjoy, enjoy your skills. And I like You said it's definitely a lighter fare. Um, there's a, there's a lot, some nice comedy in it, uh, especially with the with the lead female character Luvander. Um, she seems like she's she's very much like the 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 scoundrel, the the Indiana Jones kind of character in the, in the series. Where where'd you get the inspiration for her? So Lou <clears throat> came to me, came to us. Um, so the the. What I love about Scales, just as a, as a writer, is that it, it came along. I'd been doing editing for 
six or seven years, I think, Galad, the artist, reached out to me. We'd never met before. We only met once in like the 10 years that we've known each other almost. I'd been doing a lot of freelance editing um, after I left Marvel. Um, and I was interviewed by a French comic book website uh, about a comic that, you know, that I had edited. He read that. He reached out to me just on my website. Um, and he just, he was an animator by trade, uh, working on, on video games and character design. And he said he wanted to kind of work on a comic and he didn't really know how and, you know, could I help him out? And as we started talking, he started kind of sending me sketches for like, here's ideas I have. And, and one of the sketches was for this kind of white haired, kind of scruffy, poofy haired, um, uh, character. And I was like, who is that? And he's like, oh, this is this character I've created. I really like drawing her. And I had this idea that, you know, she could be like a dragon or a dragon something. And, and just in talking about that, I was like, wait, like, can, can you let me be inspired by her? And I would, I would, I wrote up like a, a little bit of a, a story draft for like, here's who she is. Here's where she came from. Here's the kind of arc. So between, so like her, she existed before we gave her a name and gave her a history. Um, it was just this character that he really loved to draw. And I was really um, kind of inspired by her. Um, because like you said, I really wanted a character. I wanted to write a character that is completely like kind of rudderless and, and not chained down, who can be here one day and, and there tomorrow and, and to have that be a part of their character, not just a natural kind of impulse of the writer who doesn't want to commit to, you know, any one, any one place. Um, but also the natural urge of a fantasy story is that you want to keep moving. You want to keep exploring the world and getting out into it. Um, and that's why we had this cast of characters kind of built around her so that we were very, interested in not telling the reader everything about, or actually telling the reader anything about the world, not starting with a kind of treaties, like here's a map, here's the history of this world and this kingdom, blah, 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 to just kind of like drop you into it and let you experience and get to learn these characters the way they get to learn about each other, which is by going on an adventure with them and spending time with them. I was going to say, I think, I think it's really cool how you, how you kind of told the story or you built the world around the story, not necessarily like right off the, right out of the bat, even though maps are cool. Don't get me wrong. I love Lord of the Rings. I love seeing that map at the beginning from J.R.R. Tolkien came up with. I love all that, but it's really nice to just, just to have the, have the world kind of open up as we go on the adventure with our, with our main character and her party. Yeah. Um, we I think we, we made ourselves a couple of promises of like things we wouldn't do in the comics. I think making a map is one of them. I have one in my head. Um, just because the world is actually starting to like stories that I'm writing, uh, require me to have it. I mean, it's not that important. I think I always want to leave as, as big a space in these stories for readers to, to put their own ideas and, and their own imaginations and to not nail anything down too tightly other than what is required for the story. Um, but you know, every place the story takes place, there's, you know, dozens of kind of names and places that we drop and, and my, um, you know, my own coming up reading stories, reading comics, um, I very often read something, you don't really understand it, or you don't fully grasp it, probably in the way that the author intended, but it, it allows for these pockets for your own imagination to kind of, you know, take root and, and, and run with it from there. And I think that those are always very 
um, much more rewarding in a way and much more um, long lasting than, you know, this, I read a lot of fantasy novels, a lot of sci-fi, and, and sometimes they can get extremely specific, like down to the minutest detail. And I always find that as pleasurable as it is to read that, I think that it's, it's an over-controlling <laughs> uh, writer, an over-controlling author. It's almost like a vengeful god in fantasy. It's just like someone, sometimes you need to take the, uh, you take the, take the pen away from people. <laughs> Scandals and Scoundrels is such a big fantasy world that it seems like it would be great for more stories. Do you have plans to uh, revisit this world? I just yesterday finished writing the next book of Scales and Scoundrels. Awesome. So we have been very mum about this, but we have been working on this for some time. It's... I think the biggest story we've told so far, um, and uh, where Agalat is, is working hard at it. So um, it's still going to be a while, but we are shooting for hopefully next year. And I think um, anyone who's enjoyed it so far, this will definitely be one of our bigger our bigger stories. Awesome. Well, I can th- a lot of old faces, a lot of new faces. I, I I can think of three readers in this house that are looking forward to the next installment. I love it. Uh, you know, I I just want to say, you know, talking about your characters, I like how you started off like right off the bat you kind of give this this mystery to to lavander or lavander hmm. um it's kind of nice to see that there's there's a bit of a mystery built up with this this character um and i i, and I really like how galad's uh just simple animated background you know to keep things as streamlined as possible but still has all this great detail in in the backgrounds and and just this great cast of characters and you know, we've kind of focused on uh, Lavander, but can you maybe tell us a little bit, tell our audience a little bit about the where you came up with the other characters, uh, like Dorma and Prince Ascabor? Yeah, the the um, like the core cast of characters is is Lavander, who's the titular scoundrel, and she is uh, clearly masked in, in mystery. <laughs> but we meet her kind of immediately. You know, she always stirs the pot. She is constantly getting into trouble. Um, you know, it's like my favorite kind of character is the, the, you know, heart of gold, but you know, every, every other part of them is kind of <laughs> mud splattered. Um, and she quickly over the course of the first, you know, advent, uh, chapter or two, <clears throat> um, comes across, uh, Dorma, who is a, a dwarf, a dwarven lady, um, which I always thought was funny because dwarves don't, you don't get to really see their, the other, their, the fairer <laughs> sex of the, of the dwarves. Um, and she, uh, Dorma, is kind of also on an adventure. Everyone's always kind of on a journey. I always really like the the sense that these are all, you know, like young young characters in in the fantasy terms. So Dorma, as you know, whatever the the old is like, uh, uh, Frodo was, you know, whatever fifty, which is young for a hobbit. Um, <laughs> and then the other I main driving force are Prince Aki and his shadow Koro. Uh, so Prince Aki is of the royal family of the Scarlet Sands, which is a kind of a desert kingdom in this, in this fantasy world. And uh, royal, uh, not just royal individuals, but in his case, uh, they are, um, they come with shadows, which are bodyguards from birth. So I like the idea that this kind of stalwart bodyguard was like the, the moment this prince was born, this baby that was also born from the shadow family was like, okay, you're going to, you know, you have to learn how to walk faster than the royal baby because you need to protect him. And he is on a quest for, he's basically coming into his own age, you know, and, and kind of like, you know, whatever, whatever you decide that is, 15, 16 years. 
and the tradition of his of his kingdom is that he goes on a quest to become a man you know to kind of have a good reason to go on a quest <laughs> and i like that because it feel i feel like these rituals you know kind of coming of age and and especially like preparing a prince for power um a lot of what scales is about under the hood is about power and and how it's passed along and how it's objectified and how it's of course lusted after and how it, how it corrupts you um and that each of our main characters is in some way the inheritor of a power or a privilege or a legacy that they might not actually want or that they have conflicting feelings about so the conflicting thing for aki is that he's actually a big fantasy nerd like he loves reading you know stories and he loves all these tales of dragons that he's never seen so of course he's finally he gets to sneak away from home on this on this journey so he wants to go into the deepest most dangerous and darkest dungeon and see what he can see because in the back of his mind he knows that this is probably the last time he'll ever get to be this free and his shadow koro who again has been trained from birth to protect him and whose honor is kind of personified in the protection of this young prince wants none of that wants only to keep him safe like you know let's let's just go to the tourist attractions like tick the boxes and <laughs> and off we go and he kind of wants to dive into the danger um and it was in their creation that I actually really thought like oh here's a really here's a fun dynamic because we've got this kind of straight-laced you know warrior who does not want any trouble and of course Aki is incredibly infatuated with Lu um not necessarily romantically but just because she's everything that he kind of wants to be and he wants to follow her you know down every every fantasy rabbit hole um and then we drop dorma in there who which is revealed quite fairly as for a dwarf she's afraid of the dark which is <laughs> incredibly uh is just not a, a a trait that that jives well with you know underground cities and living your entire life uh in 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 subterranean uh cities so it's just kind of like you could see that we both like love we clearly love high fantasy and love the classics um but also want to poke a little fun at them and in doing that i think that there's a way to keep them fresh make them you know reclaim them as something that you experience as a child where you might not have understood all the lore and I haven't read the Silmarillion yet uh, when I was first exploring the I was actually interesting talking to the lad we were like we both love the Lord of the Rings but we were trying to aim a little bit more for the Hobbit and 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 the Star of Scales because the Hobbit is a lot more playful and it's kind of before Tolkien decided to you know become a dungeon master <laughs> he just kind of wrote a fun fantasy story for I believe it was for his kids and there's a a little bit more playfulness um in that before it kind of became this you know this this life's work of his uh, to create middle earth down right. to every hobbit wedding tradition <laughs> you know it's just the, the 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 scope that he went to um, you know it it kind of goes back to you mentioning about how a writer will do every little minutia detail and you were trying to avoid doing that that's 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 jr token right there for you he, he had all the minutia. Um I still do it. I just don't put all of it into the <laughs> I have I have reams and reams and reams of like little story ideas and and names and places because a you never know um right. when you might be able to fit them in and I had you know we had all kinds of plans and ideas and and who knows you know the 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 story of scales the comic 
you know, is almost as it's as big a journey because we started off at Image. We were doing a monthly comic. We did that for a year. We did 12 issues in 12 months, which at the time was not not often done. The sales weren't at the the single issue sales weren't at the point where we could continue to do that. So we had to stop a little prematurely. Um, the book was on hiatus for some time. We actually continued to make it on our own time and on our own dime all the way until my personal journey led me to where I was now editor in chief at TKO and had established myself in you know, that new venture enough to basically pitch my publishers on the idea of bringing scales over to TKO and completing, you know, the story that we had set out to do. And that's what we ended up doing. And um, the book, got a second life and, and, you know, went on to, to, you know, much, much grander things because specifically we kind of identified that the market wasn't really in the monthly comic book space, but it was in thicker, you know, uh, right. in the trades, book collections for libraries, bookstores. Um, that's kind of where the readers for these types of stories are um, not necessarily in the, you know, comic book store every Wednesday. Um, so, you know, looking back uh, when, when we started scales, I was, you know, younger and less focused. And now I have a, you know, got married and have a kid of my own, but we're still making these stories. We're still, you know, exploring the world with these characters. And it's just a really wonderful uh, thing to, be, to get to do also, you know, fantastic uh, with someone that we just met through this way, especially trying to find time to, to be able to write and raise a kid and, and spend time yeah. with your wife and everything. It's just, it's, it's always hard. Yeah. Uh, how did you and Galad make the book? So we communicate almost exclusively via email and we talk once a week, um, despite I think everything that's happened in the last number of years. Every Friday morning uh, and afternoon where he lives, uh, we hop on uh, Skype still. <laughs> uh, we haven't really aged out of that. And uh, we just chat for an hour and it's usually half about life and stuff. And, you know, are we reading books? Are we reading comics? What movies are we liking? And half about scales. And usually every Friday, I'll have some new ideas to throw at him. I'm thinking about this. I've been thinking about that. And he'll have some ideas. Um, but, you know, when we're working on a story like a book, um, you know, every, I don't want to say how many books I have planned because <laughs> who knows how many will happen. But I kind of know what I would like to do, what I would like the big story. Like I want, here's where the characters start the next story and here's where they're going to end up and all the stuff in the middle. I've got a couple of uh, tent poles, um, you know, just developments or, or big story ideas that will happen. That sounds really cool. And then we'll start kind of chiseling away at it and he'll think about, you know, oh, I've always wanted to draw this or, you know, he'll come at it as an artist from a, as a visuals perspective. Like, Neat. And then he'll give that to me. He might sketch some things out. So over the co course of the first couple of weeks, we both kind of just put all the ingredients that are in our heads on the table. And then we'll decide which ones do we want to use, which ones are good. And at some point, I kind of go away. I write an outline. An outline is basically like a short story. Like if I told you what happened in a comic without any of the art and not any of the kind of moments in place just like boom 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 it's like telling your friend your favorite movie like a summary yeah it's like a summary and i'll send that back to him and he'll read it and he'll give me his ideas and then i'll start to you know we start ping-ponging back and forth the ultimate goal is for me to write a script uh which has you know page one panel one lou walks into 
the cave. The cave is dusty. There's a spider on the wall. Panel two, Lou picks up a torch, looks around, looks scared, and then you write the dialogue. Send that over to Galad, and then he starts start drawing. He sends me the thumbnails, which is just the very loose outlines, and then and then we make the comic. Um, we've only met once. I, I, uh, I f- flew to uh, Corsica, which is the island that he lives on in France, uh, on my honeymoon. <laughs> um, and we hung out there, and uh, we went on a... Uh, oh, it's not true. We met twice. We went on a book tour in France. But um, it's very common in comics to, that you never meet your... <laughs> Your, your compatriot. <laughs> and, um, but it's very, you know, I've, I've worked on other books and I think with Galad, it's always very special because nothing, I can't point to any part of scales that is like just me or just him. Like it's all us, um, you know, kind of coming at it together. That's, that's awesome that you've, you've built this rapport with him and, and you guys were able to, to come up with this great story of scales and scoundrels. Hmm. Um, so you've you kind of mentioned TKO and and the book first starting off at Image Comics and that's actually that's where I first read it and we ended up getting the trade from Image mm. Comics. Uh, so for all our listeners that are interested in reading Scales and Scoundrels Volume One, the TKO book has a different title. Uh, I believe it's called In the Dragon's Maw. Or did I get that split? So In the Dragon's <clears throat> In the Dragon's Maw was the original. Uh, title for the first trade paperback at okay. Image that collects chapters one through five. I call them chapters now. They used to be issues. Switch to chapters. When we, it gets a little complicated, but basically we had to end the book at issue 12, chapter 12, and traditionally image, image trade paperbacks are collections of five issues. So the first two, uh, Trade paperbacks are issues 1 through 10, or chapter 1 through 10. Chapters 11 and 12, famously, were never collected. Okay. Um, but ideally, they were a Dorma standalone 1-2 story. And then when we went to TKO, we decided to to kind of double double bundle it. So the first TKO book is now called uh, Where Dragons Wander, and that's the first 10 issues or the first 10 chapters. And then the second book, called The Festival of Life, is uh, all hither, all before un, uncollected. So it's issues 11, 12, and then all the way through 20, which was a whole new, two whole new story arcs, actually. Awesome. So if you have the two TKO books, um, they're both over 250 pages. It's just over 500 pages total. That is the complete um, story of Scales and Scoundrels so far. And that's also the format that we will... Um, Continuing. Awesome. Logan and I have some more reading to do. <laughs> mm. What does an editor editor chief do? So an editor in chief does everything that isn't the writing or the drawing of a comic. <laughs> so an editor in chief is basically like the top the top editor. You know, beneath that you have senior editors, editors, assistant editors. But essentially what an editor it doesn't matter where in that pyramid hierarchy you are, um, your job is to basically cultivate the books, uh, whether they be comic books or prose novels or, or poetry, what have you. You're responsible for the creative output and kind of personal satisfaction of the creator, but also responsible for what 
the audience, what a reader will eventually get. Um, so you have a large degree of freedom and creative input without actively being the person doing the actual creative work. So that can be, say, at Marvel or DC, it's the superhero books. You're kind of given a couple of characters, right? I, when I was at Marvel, I worked in the X office. So we had all the X-Men. You know, we couldn't, we, we weren't really responsible for Spider-Man or the Avengers because those were, you know, different offices. We were just going to use the X-Men. So like with all the X-Men, and there's a lot of them, <laughs> what are the stories we want to tell? You know, who are the writers we want to engage? Who are the artists we want to do? Because you could give 12 writers and 12 artists the same character with the same kind of idea, and they would come back with 12 completely different comics. So your job is to kind of identify, well, you know, which is the best or which is the most interesting or which is the one that'll sell the most. Like you just have to come at the problem from all these different angles. Um, so as you work your way up through the ranks of editor, you get to basically just have more of everything. You get to have more books, you get to have a little bit more money, more budget, more ability to develop your own sensibilities. Um, as editor-in-chief, you're basically at the way top of that. So as editor-in-chief of TKO, I uh, oversee the entire creative output of TKO Studios. Um, that means I'm involved in kind of all the story ideas, all the development, reaching out to creators and writers and artists, talking to them. Um, I'm not the only one who does that. Like my publishers, of course, are involved in that, but it's a pretty small group of people. And then you go through the list, you know, you got to hire artists, you got to get them all set up, you got to answer all their questions, you got to talk to them, regardless of what time zone they're in, what language barriers there may be. And you do everything that I just, you know, that you do with when you're the writer on a book, you uh, got to get thumbnails in, scripts in, workshop them. Once the book is done, you know, you got to package it, you got to market it, you got to print it, you got to distribute it, you got to do press <laughs> for it, you got to... It's a lot. Um, you're responsible for making sure that when you go into a store and you want to read a new comic, that you have something to read and you want to do it better than every other person <laughs> doing it. Um, so, yeah, it's it's an odd it's an odd uh, job because, um, of course, you you know, as a comic book reader, as a fan, you will know artists that you like, you will know writers that you like. Very, very few people bother to learn like who the editor is, and nor should they. You know, it's not an editor's job to to kind of get the get the clout or the fame. Um, but they have a very big ability to kind of shape the what what a book becomes. You know, um, like I said, you could give the same character to twelve different writers and artists, but you could also give the same book to 12 different editors and you would probably still get a different book out of it because an editor can kind of it's like everyone in the world makes peanut butter and jelly sandwiches but everyone makes them a little bit different um that's that might be something like some people put pickles in them some people put a little salt on the top some people put i don't know cheese in the middle i don't know it's just an idea <laughs> so there's all these like little proclivities that you can kind of use to change something that is actually at its core quite simple a comic not the hardest thing in the world to make, although it's quite difficult. <laughs> um, and an editor can kind of take you this way, take you that way. 
and also we're just there for the for the creators you know artists writers everyone is working at their computers at their desks long hours um, you you tend to be a lifeline to them and explain the industry and talk about comics and art and um, a lot of us don't get out much <laughs> so we have to give each other a little bit of uh, a little bit of um, social solidarity over over the phone or over email what have you sounds like uh, an editor-in-chief is like uh has several hats like he's a he's a manager he's also um say a contractor you know someone who would like you know as well as an architect for a house you kind of have to oversee everything a project manager yeah it's yeah it's, project oh. manager contractor therapist hitman accountant <laughs> uh you know you can you can do all of them nice um, well, I don't, I don't want to keep you too much longer, but uh, I just want to dive a little bit more into TKO Comics. Um, yeah. You know, it, you know Mar Marvel and DC, they're the big two. They've been here around since, like, the 30s. But TKO mm -hmm. it only came on the scene in, like, 2018. And mm -hmm. uh, I noticed that not a lot of their books are available through, like, Diamond Distribution. They're, they seems like TKO has their own distribution method, their own way of getting the books out there. Um, it's a rather unique a unique company can can you kind of like tell our listeners and tell us a little more about what tko is like compared to like the big two or like those other comics like image comics yeah so <clears throat> um tko launched tko studios launched in 2018 um the the kind of guiding premise at the time was um that we binge release all our books meaning that um, so we launched with four series um, that were all available as trade paperbacks, collecting kind of six individual issues and also six individual issues in these box sets and digital. So the idea was that we kind of wanted to break the, the calendar cycle of comics at the time, that regardless if you were reading Marvel or Image or any of the other number of smaller publishers, um, everyone was kind of switching to trade paperback reading the way you read scales. You weren't going to buy issue one and then come back a month later and buy issue two because the direct market run through diamond distribution was such that it was very, very difficult for independent books to, to actually retain readers that long where you weren't cutting into your own profits by that point. Um, so one of the, this is all like kind of, market jargon and half of that isn't even true anymore because the market's <laughs> changed so much since then but these are all things you have to be aware of so the idea for tko was that we we don't go through diamond distribution uh we do our own distributing we go directly to retailers um we're able to you know oversee the just the higher quality of our of our product of titles um and, and make them a really good deal because when everything goes through one bottleneck and that bottleneck is diamond distribution at the time, um, a lot of people were kind of open to an alternative. And as we can see now, you know, Marvel and DC have both gone their separate ways and there's a lot more competition actually in terms of the direct market um, distribution. The other thing TKO uh, wanted to do is essentially um, not do superheroes. Um, that's the only thing we weren't really producing. Um, not because we don't love it, but because we just felt that there's a lot of comic book readers out there that like that market is very well served. And um, the final thing is that we just wanted to be, this is, was our tagline and a little bit of a shot across the bow, but like be the first modern comic book company um, where it doesn't matter where you hear about us, you can, you know, 
the way you you purchase basically any other item, any other pop culture good, be it you know a music or a video game or an app. You hear about it, and within a click or two, you want to kind of have it. And with a comic book, that was still not really the case, unless you know the trade paperback was out. But then, which trade paperback do you buy? So we just kind of wanted to cut through all of that. So you go to tkpresents.com, or now you can also go to your comic book store. You can go to Amazon. You can go to Barnes and Nobles, wherever you have books. And our books should be there. And if they're not, you should let your bookstore know, or let your comic book store know to reach out to us, and we'll get in touch with them. Um, all of our books are self-contained. Um, all of our books are like just they're printed oversized. Like in terms of, like, I think pound for pound, you're getting a lot of bang for your buck. Um, we work with a lot of really great uh, you know, established comic book, uh, you know, kind of legends like Garth Ennis and Steve Epting did one of our launch books. Sarah, we have uh, Jeff Lemire and Gabe Walta did a Sentient for us, which is incredibly beautiful, just completely watercolor painted book um, that took Gabriel Walta, I think like something like 16 to 18 months. Oh, wow. That was the other thing is that we were just able to put creators in a position where they were able to do work that they otherwise couldn't um, because we got, Walter, you know, talk to him and, and we're like, oh, we're going to do a book together. It's about 150 pages. He's like, okay, who's going to color that? And we were like, like, we saw this on your Instagram. This looks really beautiful. Who colored that? He's like, oh, that's me. Like, I'm a painter. I, I painted that. But if I, I can't paint a whole book like that, it would take too long. And we asked, like, how long would it take? He's like, I don't know, like half a year and a half. We're like, okay, like, is that, is that okay? <laughs> like, do you want to do that? And it turned into you know, one of the most beautiful books I've ever worked on. Um, and that's the kind of idea that we had is that we just wanted to go for you know, the quality and make sure that it's kind of everyone's best work, um, ours and the creators and put everyone in a position where they're not like the comic book market and the comic book business can be very stressful that you're always almost working on several projects at once, like two that you have to be working on to make ends meet. So you can kind of self fund the one that you actually want to be doing. And with TKO, the idea is that we kind of cut through that. Let's put people in a position where they can do their best work, not have to worry about, you know, three or four other gigs. We'll put the book out. Um, as a publisher, we don't publish as many books. We, we do something like 10 to 12 projects a year um, because we also want to give every book an opportunity to kind of be very special, to be the TKO book of this season or of the spring of this year, next year, um, and to not kind of cut into our own like production that way, basically, where, you know, if you're shotgunning out 10 books every quarter, more sometimes, how is a reader going to look? I go to a, a, a used bookstore here in New York. It's called Book Off. It's great. But man... It is a wake-up call when you walk into an aisle and there's a 30 bookcases in there and they're all comics and none of them have the covers out. It's just spines. And I'm like, at some point, your book's going to land in a, in, a, in a pile like this. And how are they going to stand out? Like, it's just the spine. It's just the logo, right. you know? So you got to be very conscientious about, like, just what you're up against. And then, um, you know, we launched very strong. COVID happened, of course, and that uh, put us in a you know, in the same position as everyone. The industry was changing. Books, comic book stores had to close. Um, but the fact that we weren't being distributed by Diamond actually benefited us because we were able to continue to ship our books and Diamond had to, you know, very famously uh, shut down um, because when the pandemic hit and we were able to use, you know, some kind of modern 
e-commerce uh, <laughs> guidelines where you could still purchase um, TKO titles through our website, but you were able to tag your local comic book store. And then we ended up sending that store uh, the same amount that they would have gotten had you purchased that book in their store. That's awesome. So just kind of like using, you know, modern, uh, you know, just the, the, the technologies that we have now um, to still kind of, you know, make sure that brick and mortar comic book stores aren't left behind in, in the, in the changing world. And even since then things have changed massively. Yeah. I have to say, I really enjoy what I've seen from TKO. I think you guys have a, uh, a much higher, I wouldn't say a higher quality, but you have a, a, a quality standard. You guys tend to, to stick towards. And I think it looks great. Uh, the story that we read scales and scoundrel is phenomenal. Um, Thank you. I have to I admit though, being a, a dad who's introducing comics to kids, I'm always looking for more, uh, for all ages books. So when I was on your guys' website and I seen for all ages and there was just scales and scoundrels and, mm. uh, that one other one, I'm like, let's, let's, let's see a few more titles. And now that you've said you have more scales and scoundrels coming out, I'm, I'm re we're really looking forward to that. Oh, I'm excited. Um, um yeah, the all ages line. We've got um, we launched with scales. We have Jellia by Ajuni Ba, who's a really just massive talent. Um, very very excited. It was his debut book. So French Senegalese um, cartoonist. He's he's since gone on to do uh, many many more books, and 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 we have another book with him coming out soon as well. Awesome. Um, so he's someone you should definitely check out. Um, it's it's all it's all it's a it's a little more. I don't actually know how to describe it. It's, it's it's a fantasy. It's got a little bit of post-apocalypse in it, but in a in a kind of joyful, comical way. <laughs> um, and it follows the. Uh, it's inspired by by Juni's um, the the kind of myths and fairy tales of his of his native Senegal, um, where they have the the jelly, which are the uh, the royal storytellers who basically accompany. Uh, this is jelly accompanies the king of this fallen kingdom because the world was destroyed and is trying to kind of like rebuild his, uh, rebuild his, um, his honor and his glory while he's just kind of trying to get, get out from under it. Um, so it's a really wild story. It's got a lot of, I don't know if you've ever read the original Dragon Ball, which is always one of my favorite comics, uh, to suggest to people of, of any age and bone. So it's got a lot of, of those kind of, those comics that I love the most that you can legitimately, they look, they look like kids comics, but they are for kids because kids are incredibly smart and have the most discerning taste and are absolutely voracious readers. So oh, yeah. um, when, when someone says something is for kids, I'm always like, Oh, then it must be pretty good because <laughs> kids will let you know when something is not good. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. They kind of get that, especially with, with Logan, he gives me that, gives me that kind of glazed look in his eye and, you know, yeah. I apologize, Logan. I kind of, I kind of monopolized most of our, our, our interview. But uh, is there anything you wanted? To, any other questions you wanted to ask, Mr. Garner, on, uh, on, on our, on his book? No. No. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, um, you know, you've, you've given us a breakdown of some of TKO's new books coming out. You've already, I, I guess, breaking news we got for uh, Scales and Scoundrels. Uh, yeah, scoop. All right. Uh, is there anything else that you want? Is, you know, anyone want to follow you on Facebook where they can go and check out some of your stuff? Um, I am not on Facebook, but you can follow me on Twitter as long as it's still chugging along. S G I R N E R. 
Uh, Instagram is the same tag, but there I'm usually just posting pictures of goats and uh, my dog. <laughs> but that's you know that's quality content. Um, you should check out uh, TKO Studios at TKO Presents um, across all all social media, and we're always posting fun stuff there. But no, beyond that, you know, um, we're here, you know, for for the long haul, and um, I'm very excited, you know, to, to put out more books and, and write more books, and, and you'll see me. Hopefully, you'll be seeing more of my work and uh, at TKO and, and other places as well. And, um, yeah, just keep reading comics. Keep letting us know if you like them, and we'll keep making more of them. Fantastic. You keep making them, we'll keep reading them. Excellent. So. Good deal. Okay, ladies and gentlemen of all ages, this has been Comics With My Kids podcast. If you've enjoyed this discussion... Uh, then leave us a rating or review over at uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or Podchaser. If you'd like to follow us, check us out on Twitter at Comics with Kids or our Facebook page, the Comics Corner Box slash Comics with My Kids. Uh, please check out our previous episode where Melody and I actually discuss her thoughts on the book Scales and Scoundrels. So, this has been Matt D. And I'm Logan D. And we're here with Sebastian Gerner. And you all have a wonderful night. Mm-hmm.